Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. You ain't no Daisy at all. And Larry Correa. You didn't do I'm Your Uncle Barry, did you? Haven't I done I'm Your Uncle I don't think so. Yeah, you can do it again. Today's episode, Western. Welcome everybody back to the Rider Dojo. Glad to have you back with us. If you don't know, if you didn't take the clue, today we're going to talk about westerns. Now, I'm certainly no expert on westerns. You're not either, Larry. Nope. But we both love them. Um, Thoroughly love westerns. I, I adore westerns. I, I, th- I grew up reading westerns. I grew up re- reading Louis L'Amour. Louis L'Amour is the reason I'm a writer. Me too. Um, and we've talked about that before. But what I want to talk about is I kind of want to start delving into why we like Westerns so much yeah. and why and why I think the themes that come into Westerns are so easily transplantable, if that's a word, to other genres. Yeah, because when behind the scenes, guys, when Steve suggested this topic to me, I was like, I don't know, man, because I'm not a Western writer. I've done a couple short stories that are like more supernatural things, but they were set in West in the Old West. Uh, I've gotten into it a little bit, but I'm not a, I'm not an expert on it. We're primary science fiction fantasy guys. But then Steve started listing off all the stuff that was um, science fiction and fantasy and genre fiction that was Western or modern Westerns or Western themes or Western tropes that we've all used in our other stuff. And he started listing off all these, all these various sci-fi and uh, fantasy franchises that we know and love and things that citing from our work and other people's work. And I was like, you know what? This is... You got a good point here, man. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of take all you listeners with us as we kind of wonder and, and kind of muse on on why Westerns are awesome and what, you know, how we've used the tropes, how we've seen other people use some of the Western tropes that we just adore. Um, I think let, let, let's just start out talking about in general well, Why we really like these things. Anytime you have a thing that sticks around that well and strikes a chord with that many people, there's a reason for it. And the reader or the viewer likes it. And so if we can learn from that and use that in our own writing, that's a good tool in the toolbox to have. Yeah. Now, a long time ago, again, back to my ye oldie bookstore days, uh, there was, I'm trying to remember, I think, I think at that time I still did have like an actual section that was Western, it was one shelf. One. Not uh, not a set of shelves. No, no. Shelf. It was one shelf on that set of shelves. Mm, it yeah. was like the leftover after the romance section. They were mm. like, ah, oh, crap. Uh, we don't have enough Harlequin romance today, so uh, let, let, let's just put some Louis L'Amour and Zane Grey right here. Yeah, I was going to say, as an actual sellable genre. It's kind of gone away, unfortunately. It's very, very small. Now, I, I know one guy who does indie writing, um, friends with Peter Grant, that he does an indie Western, ser- uh, indie Western series. And I know he does pretty good on that. Joe Lansdale will still write the occasional Western. Um, and he's freaking brilliant at it because yeah, he's freaking Joe, Joe Lansdale. Lansdale. There's, there's, I think as a genre, I wouldn't say it's dead, but I definitely think it's not, uh, it's a shadow of what it once was in its heyday. For sure. And I think that's fair. And just like, so realistically, when we talk about writing this stuff, we just know that. But that said, how much sci-fi and fantasy stuff have we, and modern thriller stuff have we seen, and crime stories, uh, and dramas, have we seen that have, that run with those Western tropes? I mean, 
it's ridiculous, right? I mean, off the top of our heads, um, kind of before the show, we were just kind of spitballing a little bit back and forth. And I mean, the obvious one that came to both our minds was Firefly, right? Space oh, Western. Totally Space Western. Totally Space Western. Great show. I mean, in fact, there's there's so many episodes that are literally on like a planet that's like a Western planet. Yeah, it's just you straight know? up a Western with spaceships. I mean, yeah, love Firefly. You know, I, like there's the one episode where they're they're defending the brothel in the town against the. Um, it, it's almost kind of a seven, uh, not seven Sam, well seven Samurai, but Magnificent Seven yeah. sort of story. Which is well, they're the same same story. thing. Yeah. Um, that's another we've yeah westerns and samurai movies. Oh god, these and are now, gonna go in hand in hand. I was guys. gonna say, and, and you gotta understand, Larry and I love samurai stories. Oh, dude, I am a samurai dork. We love that stuff. Now, I haven't written westerns, but I've written I've written probably two or three western stories. I've written a dozen things with samurai. Stuff I've written in some them. samurai stuff. I'm writing a story that's basically cyberpunk's Seven Samurai. So, like, been there, right? Been there. Yep. Um, and then, you know, one of our most, one of our, our recent kind of more favorite sci-fi shows and, and book series, and that's The Expanse. Very, actually has some definite Western it. things in it. Especially book four and in the show season four, you know, they go through, they go through kind of the, oh, I can't even remember what they call it in the, in the series, but it's that, that area where there's all the gates to all the various worlds and yeah, universes and stuff. The, the thingy, thing, yeah. the sphere thingy. And they end up going through and, and the whole thing is Holden and his crew go to this planet because there's been, there's been a, there's been a murder and a kind of a terrorist thing. And it's like this weird frontier boom town. And there's this weird security guy who's, who's like, the he's basically the sheriff. The and then sheriff. Yep. And then Amos and, Jeez. and Holden roll into town. They're like the, they're like the wandering strangers that come aboard. Amos is basically playing Clint Eastwood in that, in that season. He's totally doing that. And he does it freaking well. Yeah. I love, I love that guy. <laughs> he crushes it. We, we're such fanboys on this show about that guy. Um, in, in, uh, short fiction, just like I've done the noir anthologies for, uh, Bay and Books, uh, they also have a series of Western themed sci-fi and fantasy stories. I think we're on like the fourth or the fifth one now. Yeah, like from David Boop, right? David Boop is the editor and the, I believe that one was Gunfight on Europa Station. Yeah. Uh, the one that I was in was Straight Out of Tombstone or was that the title? I think Straight. that was what, I think that was what it was. Uh, something like that. And, yeah, uh, I, think, I think you're right. But I did a Monster Hunter international story mm-hmm. set back in the 1890s. Um, and so, yeah, this stuff is out there. Uh, and when we talk about like modern stuff, right now, Super Hot is all the Taylor Sheridan. He's kind of on top of the world for uh, Hollywood production right now. And he's, he hits a lot of Western themes. I mean, Yellowstone, I have never watched it, but a super popular show. Yeah, I haven't got around to that. I'm, I've kinda, I'm still on my, uh, my, my massive subscription purge. Oh, yeah. But over on the uh, movie side, uh, Wind River is straight up Western. Uh, Hell or High Water. Straight up Western. Sicario actually has a lot of Western themes. Tons of Western themes. Tons of Western themes in Sicario. Uh, I mean, Sicario could have starred Clint Eastwood. <laughs> oh, easy. Actually, man. Can you imagine a little bit younger Clint Eastwood in that? Actually, even old Clint Eastwood is What's it, was like he, in the Josh playing, Brolin yeah, side. Yeah, for Josh Brolin. Oh, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for him to be Benicio Del Toro no, no, in no. context. Probably not. No, no. Uh, but that said, back in the 50s, John Wayne would have played Benicio Del Toro. That's and they true. would have just tried to pass that That's off. That's true. He was Genghis Khan. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of uh, those things. So John Brown has a fantasy series called The Drovers. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah Servant it, of a Dark God, right? Yeah. Well, uh, it's a different universe, I believe. Oh, is it this? Is that this said, one? it's straight up the Cowboys. It's like um, oh, nice. It's fantasy the Cowboys. Now, if you know the old John Wayne yeah. movie, the Cowboys. Uh, I because I was with John when he came up with the idea for that. We were on book tour driving across the Wyoming. S- the snowstorm tour. Yeah, it was snowstorm tour. But it's on the way out before we were in the trapped in the car of death mm-hmm. for our sixteen hours trapped in a snowstorm together. Me and John Brown in a Ford Focus. But yeah, he uh, he brainstormed uh, the Drovers, uh, and it was basically it's a western fantasy western. Yeah, I did one a little while ago, a short story for Chris Kennedy uh, called The Dregs, which was actually I took the basic idea off of old Louis L'Amour story. Uh, in the Louis L'Amour story, it was this drunk wakes up in a town that's been abandoned, uh, and they're, and he, he's trying to figure out why. And they just left the poor guy there alone, and, he, and it's because there's going to be an Indian raid is what it is. Um, and I just did kind of a fantasy version of that yeah. and had a lot of fun with it. And so, I mean, those tropes are out there. I mentioned Hell or High Water, right? Yeah. You hadn't seen that? I haven't seen that one yet. Good movie. Uh, it's the, I didn't know Chris Pine could actually act. <laughs> I really didn't. I didn't know Chris Pine was a good actor until I watched Heller High Water, and I was like, okay, dude, dude's a good actor. You know, I, I saw one uh, the other day. Oh, gosh. Um, gosh, what's it called? It's with um, Christian Bale. Uh, Hostiles? Hostiles, thank you. Yeah, I was trying to think of Christian Bale Western. Yeah. I've only seen part of it. It's actually pretty good. Um uh, Timothy Chalamet is in it from from Dune. Right? Oh yeah, uh, this was before Dune. But anyway, that show's really good. It's it's a little slower, uh, but the movie's pretty solid. I saw it on a plane flight, uh, and I remember watching. It, I'm going, huh? How come I haven't heard of this one before? This is actually really interesting. There's uh, recently there was uh, Terror on the Prairie, which I have not seen yet. Oh, with uh, Gina Carano, right? Yeah, yeah, and Nick Cersei's the bad guy. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh yeah, Nick's the villain. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's what, and I'm like, I got, I got to hurry up and watch that because uh, Nick's the bad guy, and apparently his performance is like super. He's good. always good. Yeah, he's that so dude's good. always freaking. Well, good. there's also another one he's in that's a Nicolas Cage western. Uh, it's coming out soon. Yeah, for real. It's like the. Uh, the old way? I can't remember what the name of it is, but yeah, I'm dead serious. Nicholas Cage Western. Oh boy. Hey man, after watching, uh, uh, Unbelievable Weight of Massive Talent, I will watch any Nicholas Cage movie now. <laughs> I'm all in. See, for me, it was Color Out of Space. Um, oh, he was, dude. He was so good in that. Okay, we're wandering because there's Sorry. no, no Western, no Western in that, uh, except for the llamas. No, no, no here's what I will Blasting say. all the llamas. Um, I am, I am a huge, obviously a huge horror fan. Uh, and I do think that there is a massive, massive, uh, like Venn diagram overlap between horror and Westerns because look, how many of the, how many of the Western stories do we watch or, or do we, do we read? And it's all about the unknown. It's about all these people going out onto the fringes of where there's lawlessness or where there's, uh, where there's just nothing. When you hit, you talk about fear, dread, uncertainty. Yeah. Fear, dread, and shock. Yeah. Fear, dread, and shock. Okay. And, and if you think about Western elements, like you're out there by yourself, everything can kill you. Everything. Literally everything. Uh, there's no support system or a very limited support system. It's like you can just call 911. Well, so yeah, it's definitely ha- got a lot of those elements. You, you think about half of those settlers that went out there and, and were like, homesteading or they were they were staking out territory here and there like out on the far fringes of of what was considered known the known world so to speak oh yeah 
And man, they didn't even know what they didn't know. They would get out there. I mean, look, we're both LDS, right? So talking about like the handcart companies coming across. My wife's ancestors. Yeah. I mean, some of that stuff was a veritable horror show. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the crap that they dealt with. Lot First of all, of... the reason why the reason why they had to they had to like bail out of town, yep. right? Like n- not not pretty. Getting shot by angry mobs will do that. Yeah, I, I hear that's a bad thing. Um, so glad they finally repealed that law like three years ago. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, the, the uncertainty that the dread, the shock, you know, the, of, of, of traveling across the country. And I think that Westerns nail that obviously, Yeah. but that idea and those, those feelings, I think, I think that it, you can just grab those wholesale pick them up and then drop them in uh, in a horror, in a horror story, well, there, there in are sci-fi. Quite a Western horror, Tons. supernatural the Western whole, horror things. The whole Weird West thing, the weird is, West thing is probably more popular than Westerns are I would say point. Weird West is probably the biggest part of modern Western. I would For guess. Sure. I have no actual stat on I, that. I don't either, but I, I think your hunch is right. Uh, then again, we've played Deadlands, the role-playing game, quite a few times you know uh, uh shane hensley yeah yeah shout out to shane hensley and the good folks at pinnacle <laughs> did you see that shane hensley's um basically repenning uh the solomon kane rpg for monolith no yes oh that's cool it's he's gonna a good be dude awesome for it. oh yeah. that's cool all right well shout out to we're, we're fans of shane um no weird west is huge uh i was, I was thinking recent years there was that movie bone tomahawk have you seen that? I didn't watch that one. I hear it got crazy at the end. It gets crazy. It's yeah. that is a violent, violent yeah. movie. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's Kurt Russell, you know, and yeah. then involved basically mutant prehistoric cavemen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you think all oh, these settlers that are cannibals. Got, no, it's because like it's like oh, the settlers got kidnapped by the Indians. Oh no, they didn't get kidnapped by Indians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got kidnapped by something else, yeah. and it's nuts. Uh, before that, there was a movie, The Burrowers. It was a Western. Did I oh, see that dude, one? it's messed up. It's weird. I don't remember if I saw that it's one. It's weird. So you know, one Old of the people. You know, this is actually what made me uh, fall in love with Joe Lansdale's writing. It was a it was a a series of like a couple short stories and some novellas called Dead Man's Road. Oh yeah, he's one of the pioneers of uh, of Weird West. West. Yeah. yeah. It was about this uh, this preacher. His name is Jebediah Mercer, and he would like roll into town. And he was like a he's like an Old Testament preacher, you know, fire and brimstone and stuff. And uh, and then crazy stuff happens. I mean, werewolves and vampires and ghouls and well, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I used eighteen hundreds. I used eighteen nineties Wild West themes for a couple different Monster Hunter stories. And uh, my, actually, those are the ones my daughter wrote also. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, so when she wrote in Monster Hunter, and what we would, what she did is she, we actually went through and picked some, like, legends of mm-hmm. the time because they had a lot of legends at the time that were gold you can draw for creating monsters. And uh, and so I was using things like Chenu, which was, like, a weird uh, Indian uh, mythology thing. And then my daughter used the Bear Lake Monster. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're from Utah, you've heard of the Bear Lake Monster. And she explains why no one's seen it for quite a long time because. <laughs> they blew it up but um and then we had a reoccurring thing with a traveling an evil traveling circus which is kind of fun oh yeah. yeah for sure you know there's a lot of really cool okay the originally remember was star uh star trek the original pitch for star trek was uh wagon train in space yeah you know so the themes of exploration is another one. Oh yeah absolutely oh uh, that was a big louis lamore one 
Because oh, Louis yeah. L'Amour loved being like writing about the people on the forefront of human expansion. Yeah, he loved that, and, and the, you know the first guy to see this thing. Oh, I'm I'm convinced that if Louis L'Amour were still alive today, and they were like, bro, you can't do straight up westerns anymore because they don't sell. What are you gonna do? He'd write science fiction. Oh, he'd do sci-fi. He'd do fantasy. He'd do. He he'd, did. He, yeah. He, that's what he would do. He did killer detective stories. Oh, he was really good. Yeah, people don't realize Hills of Homicide is fantastic. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, I think let's start talking about some more of the tropes. Sure. And where we can, uh, how we can take them and use them in, in, in our fiction to make it better. Heck, I, yeah. Well, I'm thinking of more even before we go to break. I know, right? All right. We'll be right back. What part of the Second Amendment don't you understand? That's the question posed by award-winning New York Times bestselling author and professional firearms instructor Larry Curia. Me. Bringing with him the practical experience that comes from having owned a high-end gun store, and as a competitive shooter and self-defense trainer, Curia blasts apart the emotion-laden, logic-free rhetoric of the gun control fanatics who turn every mass shooting into a crazed call for violating your rights, abusing the Constitution, and doing absolutely nothing to really fight crime. In his essential new book, In Defense of the Second Amendment, Curia reveals... Why gun-free zones are more dangerous for law-abiding citizens. How the Second Amendment does indeed include your right to own an AR-15 and why that's not an outdated concept. Why red flag laws don't work and can be easily abused and ignore a much more commonsensical approach to keeping guns out of the wrong hands. The insanity of criminal justice reform that frees dangerous criminals and gun reform that penalizes your right to self-defense. How can we return to a society that has a safe and healthy relationship with guns as we had for most of our history? Believe me, I've heard every argument relating to gun control possible. I can show you how to defend your rights. Urgent, informed, and vitally important information for whoever owns a gun or is thinking about owning a gun or who cares about the preservation of our constitutional rights in defense of the Second Amendment is a landmark book of enduring importance. Coming January 24th from Regnery. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Now, when we went to break, you saw that Larry was getting all excited. We're, we're, what we're going to talk about is, and, and we always do this, we always talk about tools in the toolkit. Now, look, even though Westerns themselves probably don't, I mean, like, it's not like you see them in a, in a bookstore that often anymore, or their, their section is incredibly tiny, kind of like horror is now. Uh, but there's so many good tools that well, I we, think Westerns give us. And you never know what the next big thing is. Genres oh, come and go in popularity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for, I mean, heck, for all we know, Westerns are going to be the next big thing. I'm waiting for the fantasy genre to die off because they, they Hollywood has screwed us so badly with so many bad ones in a row. <laughs> uh. So who knows? We're, uh, you know, people always ask me, hey, Larry, what's going to be the next big thing? I was like, dude, if I knew what the next big thing is, I wouldn't tell you. I'd go write it myself. I know, right? I'd be but as a joke, I always answer sexy mummies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. As far as tools in the tool chest, because again, we kind of pride ourselves on talking about uh, like nuts and bolts and things that you can take and learn from and implement on your own. Yeah, well, so as soon as we started about that last time, I started thinking about back when I did Dead Six with Mike Coopery. And we actually pulled in a bunch of Western tropes and themes for that because we had a couple characters who were very much American West, last of the gunslinger kind of characters. So one of the main characters was basically his mentor was like last of the gunslingers, tough old dude named Hawk from the oh. Nevada desert and carries a carries a 44 Magnum revolver. The final gunfight takes place in a uh, basically ghost town slash work camp uh, in Nevada. 
and uh, it's it's just a full on straight up western. But but then uh, when I was talking about western themes, I used in that you you keyed in on the bar brawl. Oh yeah, because we had we had another book uh, in the second book, uh, Swords of Exodus. We have a bar brawl in Tickville, Montana. At a at a bar for a bunch of oil roughnecks called the Golden Manatee. Wait, is Tickville an actual city? No, I made up Tickville. Oh, dang it! There's actually a Tickville, Utah, though. Really? Yeah. So there is a Tickville, Utah. So oh, we actually man. stole Tickville. So we had Tickville, Montana, and we had uh, basically <laughs> and we had a giant bar brawl. And but you think about the bar brawl. Oh gosh, I mean, how many how many John Wayne movies do you remember watching growing up? And like every single one, if it didn't have a bar brawl, you felt a little cheated. Yeah. I mean, they were there for comedy they were there for dramatic effect they were there to show just how tough your characters were well then i grew up and discovered that they weren't quite as fun in real life and dental work is very expensive i mean they leave that part out (laughs) they've got plot armor their teeth have plot armor larry getting your teeth fixed after getting punched in them is yeah all right never mind i digress statue of limitations okay um Okay, but the the so so we talk about uh, the showdown in the streets. Oh man, of, of the frontier. I town. mean, come on. I mean, is there is there anything even is there anything more iconic when it comes to westerns than like the high noon, the high noon standoff? Oh no, that's so powerful. That's such a powerful. And it comes as once again we talk about the, the cross between samurai movies. And, I was I was just about to say. Yep. You remember the end of Ghost of Tsushima? Oh yeah. Same, yeah, totally Western. Even you know. though it's a samurai, it's the same thing. It says same the principles: thing. man versus man. You know, and, and this is it. This is that moment That's of it. intensity. And I've used that that kind of standoff thing in a bunch of books. I've used that in Hard Magic. Yeah, uh, I, I've, I've used that in Monster Hunter. You know, it doesn't have to be the all the combatants don't have to be human. You just have to have that solo intensity okay, square let, off. Let, let's talk about the mechanics of this then. Let's talk about. Um, Let's talk about what makes a good one-on-one showdown. Okay, so you have to have established sense of danger that the that the protagonist involved is in danger. Like okay, so you got it. This is why Tombstone's so good. When you keep oh. thinking it's going to be Johnny Ringo versus Wyatt Earp, and Johnny Ringo is going to slaughter Wyatt Earp, but then it winds up being Johnny Ringo versus Doc Holliday, who's an even more lethal killer. And Doc Holliday is like, you're you're still not quite sure. Yeah, you know, because he comes up, he's got like. His weird cape cloak thing on. So he looks good. he looks like he's one step in the in the grave. They established early on how dangerous all these people are. Yeah. Right? And so you had these super high stakes and then it gets to that point. So that's a big part. And then you gotta have the moment of build up tension between the two. So you establish that both of these guys are super dangerous. You care who lives and dies, and then you have that build up ratcheting intensity moment. Well, and there's a there's a st- there's stakes to it. You know, yep. um, I, I think back to, again, the show that you and I, I mean, heaven forbid we not talk about this show in this episode and that's justified. Oh gosh. Yes. Yes. Modern Western. There you go. The, the end where he's facing off against, um, Boone. Boone. And that guy's a really good actor. He's an underrated actor. He's a very underrated stuff. actor. Um, but there's that, there's that tension between them and it's like, okay, if Raylan loses here, the bad guys as a whole are going to win. Yeah. If Boone loses, there's nothing to stop the law from taking down uh, Sam Elliott's entire enterprise. Like that, that's, that's kind of what goes through your head when you're watching it. And yet you don't know. You never knew when you walk, when you walk into that scene, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if Raylan can beat this guy. Yeah. Cause we established earlier 
how dangerous he was. Yes. And that's one thing is like I've seen some movies where you have the standoff in the street, but the bad guy is just a dude and he's not established how dangerous he is. And then the good guy just blows him away. Eh, then it doesn't matter as much. Like, so the Magnificent Seven remake with Chris Pratt and Denzel Washington, it's a fun movie. It's fun. It's a fun movie. But like when Chris Pratt walks out in the street to have the duel, he's like, eh, you know, you, you, you know, there's not really a, a moment of whatever. They subverted this with the Kevin Costner open range movie. Oh, yeah. Remember that one? Yeah. So the same kind of good. thing. We had a dangerous bad guy, but instead of a standoff, you know, Kevin Costner walks up and he's like, he's like, which one do you kill my friend or whatever? And he's like, that was me. And like, bam, and he just like, there's no, there's no standoff. He just like goes up and brain shoots the dude immediately. Brilliant. Subverting that trope makes for a fantastic scene. Well, or, or the avoidance of, of, of that trope in regards to, let, let's think about like Wild Bill. Okay. Show Deadwood. Oh, yeah. Great, Um, great show. Great show. Um, I, I personally think Timothy Oliphant is better in, in Justified. No, Timothy Oliphant can't do any wrong. Right. Except Die Hard. That that wasn't his fault. We won't hold that against him. Yeah. I wasn't Timothy Oliphant's fault. Um, so Wild Bill, known as one of the greatest gunfighters to ever live, um, trick shooter, you know, whole nine yards. And so, um, you'd be stupid, just stupid to meet him in the streets. And so he gets shot in the back. Yep. By a guy who's another By fantastic character actor. Uh-huh. Played two different characters on Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah. So Remember it's, it's name. interesting, right? Like I, I, I like what, I like what we're talking about here. I like how, how we're talking about the mechanics of these different issues. Now let's talk about, um, we, we kind of, we kind of hinted on it earlier, but let's talk about the. Um, edge of the frontier trope. Oh yeah, that is a huge one. In, in westerns, don't always have to have that, but it, but they usually do. They usually have some some flavor of it. Yeah, right. Like 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 maybe not like the one house that's way the crap out there in the middle of nowhere. No, but there's got to be an element of wildness, an element of untameness, and that's when we see why we see it pop up so often in sci-fi. Yeah. And we even did it in fantasy. And we did, we did it in Servants of War. That boom town that they don't e- it doesn't even have a name. Yeah, because if you gave it a name, that means the czar is going to send the secret police and control it. Yeah. So there's actually the freest place in the empire because it doesn't actually exist. And and we do our version of the bar brawl. We did, yeah, because we had a guy who came in and did stolen valor. He's got he's got the two the two new prostitutes yep. in town on his arms. You know he's he's waltzing in. He's talking about how amazing he was. How the how the fights were crazy, and he made the mistake of doing stolen valor in front of a guy who just watched his friends die, who had been from that specific unit, and it yeah. didn't work out super good for him. No. Speaking of which, we're planning the sequel for that book right now, so I just reread it. Yes. Yeah. Oh man, it's such a good book. Oh, those scenes. Such a good book. We, we were we were talking. We, we nailed that book. Larry and I met for dinner, and we were talking about it, and we were. It was it was a it was kind of a weird experience because we were kind of geeking out over. Some of the stuff we wrote, we're like, dude, did we actually write that? Well, there was a bunch of good, and we knew it was good, though. It was a bunch of parts we couldn't remember which one of us wrote it. Yeah. I was like, I don't know who, which one of us came up with that, but that's wicked cool. It was, and so, uh, we've talked about collabs, but yeah, that was a wicked cool one. Now, another, another author that, um, that has done this kind of Western stuff, and it's, I mean, and it's a straight up Western, and that's Joe Abercrombie. Oh, yeah. Red, oh, yeah. Totally. Red Country. Yep. Um. That book's excellent. Um, all of, you know, 
His first uh, six, seven books are all extremely excellent. But man, he he hits on it so well, you know. And and I think I think fantasy, like you know, the way we do it um, or the way he does it, I, I think there's so much opportunity when when we talk about this idea of being on the edge of the unknown. I I, I love using that trope. Do you remember the movie Outland from the '80s? Sean Connery. Yeah. Space Marshal on a space station. <laughs> it's 310 to Yuma. It, oh, okay. Yeah. It's straight up a, it's a space Western. It, it is, uh, he, the, the bad guys are coming to town and he's going to face them. Man, yeah. it's, but it's, but it's once, because it's a space station, it channels that whole edge of the frontier vibe. Yeah. You know, Star Wars, uh, touches on this quite a bit in a lot of different well oh, so did Nick Cole and uh, and Jason oh, Spock. Yeah so I said Star Wars and and then good Star Wars and then old Star Wars and, and you know, <laughs> Disney Star Wars and then really good Star Wars is like the Nick and Jason version. So yeah but th- that's another thing it's like they hit a lot of those tropes. Also a lot of the samurai movie tropes because once again these are the same no, kind those, of things. you gotta understand guys that the whole the whole samurai industry and the Western industry borrowed and stole liberally from each other and kind of gave each other high fives. And about also it. gangster movies. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, because as we've seen, um, you know, Jimbo is the same movie as um, Fistful of Dollars right. is the same movie as Last Man Standing. Mm-hmm. Okay. With Last Man Standing being the one with the most unrealistic gun physics in the history of movies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, equilibrium might have talked it. Yeah, this uh, that's the one where Bruce Willis shoots a guy out of the 1911 is like flinging him 50 feet through the air. It's pretty awesome. Eh, you that's you a good movie. Do. But but this is the same story. We've talked about swapping stories, yeah. so changing hats on them. Okay, so so on that in that vein, um, let let's talk really briefly about the movie, um, which is based on the book No Country for Old Men. Oh, yes. Modern. Totally a Western. Modern. Modern. But it's a Western. Now, the interesting thing about that, it uses the tropes so well, and it uses the characters and their progressions so well, that if you were to take that and actually put like, like throw it back in, you know, post-Civil War era oh, yeah. in the Western, it'd be fine. You'd change almost nothing. Yeah. You, I mean, you'd almost literally change nothing, you except ri- maybe cars. Get rid of the cars and the tracking device and the money bag. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Seriously. Or um, if you set it on a space station, you'd almost change nothing. No. it's If you set it in a uh, fantasy world. say, I mean, you could set it in our fantasy world. You could. And it would be the same. Now, the villain in that is, like we've talked about the show, I think that's one of the greatest villains in history of you know, Javier Bardem playing Anton. Oh, yeah. He was really good. And, and here's another thing. That's a Western villain right there. And Okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about Western villains. A couple different tropes on that. And this is going back to, I think, a lot of these uh, were established by Louis L'Amour and Zane Grey yeah. back in the day. You got the gang. You got the gang leader. You've got... They, this, they almost always have, like, every, in, in Westerns, the the gangs almost always have that one guy. You have the hitter. The hitter. The hitter. The dragon. Though the dragon's usually what's considered, like, the second in command. Uh, that'd be Ben Johnson's character in 310 to Yuma. Okay. Right, right. So, man, y- you great. usually have that. He did a great job. That was a fantastic that. performance. He did a great job. Yeah, it was a really good performance. So, like, Anton, 
uh, Harvey or Bardem's character would be that super dangerous gunslinger dude that comes out. His gunslinging was more, I'm just going to like ambush you with a 12 gauge at conversational distance. Which, which in reality is, is kind of what more happened in the old West. Yeah. It's actually Louis Lamore used that a lot. Like one of my favorite Louis Lamore books is Riley's Luck. And that's how the main character, well, spoiler alert, but the book's like a hundred years old now, but yeah. <laughs> you know, spoiler alert, he gets ambushed with a you know 12 gauge in the street and gunned down. But, um, you know, that was, that was the bushwhacker. You know, and so you got these different Western trope bad guys. If you think about the movie Tombstone, it's a fantastic example because it's got the gang, the Cowboys gang, and you've got Curly Bill Brocious. Mm-hmm. So you got Curly Bill as the leader of the gang, and Curly Bill is like the leadership character. He's in. Then you got John Ringo, Johnny Ringo, not John Ringo, Johnny Ringo. I was gonna say. I was gonna say different, <laughs> different Ringo. Uh, <laughs> and so Johnny Ringo is just like that lethal uh, hunter killer gunslinger. And they made his character so fantastic, like where he's, he's quoting Latin. Uh-huh. That is a fully realized character. The scene where he's quoting Latin back and forth, they're speaking Latin back and forth to Doc Holliday, and it was actually a good conversation. If you go look up what they said to each other, it, it's all historically context stuff. It's brilliant. But then you also had Ike, who's just like a dumbass. Yeah. Uh, you had like the whole Cowboys gang, right? So you had all these different tropes for the villains. And, sh- and, and in spite of all of their... Look, they, they tell it from the point of view of of the good characters, of the Earps, right? But that gang has has a camaraderie and a family aspect to themselves. Yeah. You, you know, and that's important. Use that in fantasy novels really Easy. good. Easy. Really well. Um, honestly, because if you take Tombstone as an example of how to build a cadre of villains that are believable, plausible, uh, also a little bit like you, you understand them, you know, and yeah, they're bad dudes, but they're not just mustache twirling evil, you know, you get them, you get why they're there. Well, the, the ultimate thing that, that sets, um, Curly up is he was on drugs. Yeah. He took something and it put him in a bad spot and he made a mistake and he knew it. And, and that, that single mistake catalyzes him as like the bad, bad, bad guy in his gang is the bad, bad, bad guys. And Johnny Ringo is like, he's, he's their devil. Yeah. But he's on their side. Did you get in that movie when they did the, the, the Ringo's doing the gun spinning thing? Uh-huh. Yeah. And then Holiday is drunk and he comes back and he, he does, does it with sp- the tin cup. He, he does the exact same thing though. Yeah. He, he, he remember, he remembered the, even drunk. And at that point, Ringo looks at him and knows how dangerous he is, that they're equivalent in danger. That's phenomenal writing. Like, so if, if you guys- No are, dialogue. No, doesn't need to. No and dialogue. then everybody laughs because everybody else in the room thinks, ha ha, this is so funny. Also, there was a bit where Kurt Russell has the 12 gauge underneath the table cocked, ready to just blow their you know pelvises off. <laughs> and uh, think about that. What a great bit of character writing stuff there. And so let's, well, we talk about the villains, but like, think about your hero characters and the tropes of that. And a lot of these, once again, go back to the fathers of the genre. You got like the strong leader dude, the the man of honor, the paladin, if you will, because yeah. they had, you know, actually had a show called Paladin. Um, you, you know, and then you got like the, the lawman character or the reluctant lawman character. The reluctant lawman is a massive Western trope. Oh man, that works so good. Oh, this works in sci-fi too, though. For sure. Well, I mean, Holden is straight up, he's not a lawman. He, but he's the real, he is totally the reluctant lawman character. Well, he's the paladin character. 
Yeah. And he, is, if you look at Holden, Holden fits a lot of the tropes. Yep. Uh, whereas. And then, and then Amos is his Doc Holiday. Yeah. Amos is his Doc Holiday. Yeah. That's exactly what that relationship D- different is. Mental, different set of mental illnesses. Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> tuberculosis. Know. Yeah. But you get, you get the idea there. The, these tropes are fantastic. Um, Malcolm Reynolds. Same oh, kind of for thing. sure. Reluctant. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, not the lawman, but like I was a reluctant hero. Mm-hmm. Dude who just wants to live his life. That's a common Western way because you go to the West to get away. You go to the frontier. Well, you, you got to remember, escape. you got to remember the whole, in the timeline, the contextual timeline of Western history within the United States is what did it come right after? Civil the War. The Civil War. And in the Civil War, the Civil War was bad. It didn't just, at the, at the end of the day, it did bring the country together, but. It did so by, sort of. Very violently. <laughs> it did so by ripping everything in half. Yeah, against a lot of people's will. It was we're very not, horrible. We're not just talking about, you know, a North versus South. Um, there are fam- there there are so many fictitious novels written about how it, um, um, how families, how brothers were, were pitted against each other oh, gosh, in the Civil War. Oh, gosh, that's a huge trope. Um, and well, I, the whole brown coats thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge, huge trope. And... And so contextually speaking, when you're talking about people wanting to get away, you, you've got to ask yourself the question, which we always tell people to ask, and that's why. Why? Where are they getting why, away from? Why are they, getting, why are they wanting to get away? What are they getting away from? How are they doing it? Westerns always seem to have that balance, too, of people who are trying to escape the clutches of what they came from, usually some sort of stifling civilization, and they're going into a wild place. But then there's also that necessity of establishing civilization in the wilderness, even though you just escaped it. Yeah. There's that balance too. It, well, it's, it's the, there's, there's a, there's a strange hopefulness to it. There's that weird dichotomy. Yeah. It, there, there's the strange, like the fear of, of we cannot let a lack of civilization destroy us. But we're hopeful that the civilization that we establish is not as wrecked as the one that we're just trying to flee. Yeah, so the people going to Deadwood didn't go to Deadwood because they're having such a good time back east. No. And they go to Deadwood, and it's it's free, but with that freedom comes danger and awfulness. And then you have the people who are going to establish order from that lawlessness, which then creates a whole new set of problems. Well, we're both from Northern California originally. Yeah. Okay. Think about Southern. Speaking of lawless chaos. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, Totally in a historical context, not today. Um, Sutter. Yeah. Okay. You and I both went on on field trips. Oh, yeah. Where we grew up, that was was the field trip you always went. Gold rush. Every year. The gold rush. I don't know how many times you've been to Sutter's Mill, yeah. You know, the, the whole gold rush mentality um, that, that, that the West, that Westerns captivate, um, it's that, that idea of, I'm going to go to a place that is lawless and terrible and potentially lethal to me so that I can make enough of myself and reinvent myself um, potentially to escape that and maybe go back into a civilization that we haven't built yet. Like it's the, like you said, it's this strange, like seesaw battle. Yep. It's interesting too, because there's this weird dichotomy there. And one of the things we've lost as a civilization is we don't really have the wild place to go to anymore. No. Everything's full. We've explored what we've explored. And until we open up new technologies that enable us to get off this planet, which is getting into tropes, my gosh, there's half a sci-fi that right is, there. That is it, right? I mean, golden age, golden age sci-fi? Oh, golden age sci-fi, huge. That's it. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's why I, I, the minute SpaceX stock is available, I'm going deep. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, um, it's this weird dichotomy. And I think that's one of the things that appeal to us. And like Westerns have that, but that's honestly because Westerns was the last time that our society had that. Um, but I think there's a yearning, a lot of people soul to have that kind of ability to go elsewhere. I mean, I'm Portuguese, okay? So my, my entire genetic history is, you know, plus I'm an Islander. You know, we're, we're the ones that left the continent to get out of there. And then my ancestors went to like, everywhere in the world. There's a Korea in every port on earth, right? Uh, and that's, that's how my people, that's, you know, that's how my people were. It's like you would go to the next place and you'd build the thing there. And I think there's that yearning in people's souls. And so all the Western tropes kind of cater to that. And one of the things that's exposed in fantasy and sci-fi genre fiction, we can open those up. We can go to those undiscovered countries. We can go to those frontiers and reinvent. It's like the flip side of the same coin of horror, okay? Where horror, you're preying upon the most base fears that people have, you know, the fear of the unknown, the fear of, of darkness, which is, is involved in there, the fear of loss. Like the flip side of that coin is, is the hope and the yearning for the undiscovered. And I think that, I think that, that that is why Westerns still to this day, even though there is no, like there's no Western frontier to us, for us to, to establish or for us to explore now, uh, we still have that, like you said, and I love the words you use, the yearning. We still have that in like, like it's built in our souls. It's built in our DNA. Yeah. Well, not everybody. Some people are perfectly content. Well, they talk, suck though. I was talking to my kids the other day because like I'm, I'm old. But I was like, kids, if you had the opportunity to go be a colonist on Mars, even though it was a one-way ticket. I'm there. Yeah. And it's like interesting how, how many, it's like people's answers to that are either no way or I'm there. There's no in between. You know what I mean? Yeah. People are wired as like, yeah, I'll go. I'll do it. I mean, it's like it's a one-way ticket. You're going to die on a foreign planet. And people are like, yeah, let's go. As I say these interesting articles, there's like- As well, they say amongst my people, vominous? Yeah, they're, as, as amongst my people, vominous. But like, <laughs> I saw this news article the other day and it's like, well, if they open up exploration of Mars, it's, it'll be unsafe. Yeah. Well, no kidding. Duh. <laughs> Exploration's always been dangerous and it always will be. It, the, the, the factor of risk versus reward um, as it's leveraged against hope- is probably the single, one of the single most interesting aspects of Westerns for me. Well, in Americans, because we're talking about American audience primarily, we're primarily American writers here. We come from a culture of the people who left everywhere else. Yeah, or were forced out of everywhere else. Or were thrown out. Yes, we're the culmination of that. And so, of course, if you think if there's one group of people who is like, I want to get the hell out of here, if given opportunity, it's that. Plus, we got half the country is really sick of the other half. <laughs> and we're sick of authoritarian stuff. So I got a chance to have like slightly less law. I'm, I'm down. I'm cool. Yeah. But I'm getting, I'm, I'm too old. They're not going to, I'm not going to take up val- valuable rocket ship space. No, no way. No, they, they wouldn't let me. They're like, Steve, you've got too many allergies. You probably my, die on Mars. All my engineer and computer programmer kids, though, they, they could- Oh, yeah, they're, yeah. They, they're fine. Yeah, my kids would be great. Yeah. But, all right. Everyone, I hope you, you enjoyed our our discussion today. I, I think I think kind of that latter half, we kind of we kind of stumbled upon 
why we really truly love westerns. We can get a little philosophical on this show. Every now and then. Yeah. Every now and then. I, we, it sneaks in. We have to be a little careful, though. We don't want to use up all that good juju too early in the year. I mean, it's like January. We're not going to have enough. We're not going to have enough juice for December later on. Anyway. So anyway, we hope you guys like this show. If you have any other questions, uh, you can always send them in to us. Uh, once again, if you're a supporter of the Rider Dojo, we answer your questions first. Uh, and for all of you supporters out there, thank, thank you so much for supporting us. Um, you know, you guys make a big deal, uh, a lot of a lot of impact on us. We appreciate you guys. You say very kind things about us for some reason, uh, and you're gonna make it very possible for us to buy some pretty sweet equipment so we can take the show on the road here and there. So that's awesome. Yeah, we're actually getting getting ready to to, to purchase some stuff yeah. so we can get some more guests and yeah, our stuff. our fourth kind of sort of uh, like half member of of Rider Dojo, uh, like you know Supreme Cabal or whatever you want to call it, uh, Craig Nibo uh, gave us some pretty sweet suggestions. Um, so Craig's freaking rad. Yeah, we are recording this from Craig's studio, and all this is going to get edited together by Jack Wilder. Yep, because those two dudes. Like those t- yeah, those two dudes make us not sound like complete morons. Jack puts in a lot of hours. He does. He actually he actually listens to all the stuff we say in between takes. Um, <laughs> sometimes he uses it as the as the stinger at the end of the episode, and sometimes he just rolls his eyes, and we can feel it from across the country. Well, in uh, this episode during the break, I was speaking about the aftermath of my nose surgery, so I sure hope that does not show up as the stinger because it was pretty weird. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you again so much. And remember, I'm your Huckleberry. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to Anchor dot fm slash writer dojo by leaving a five-star rating and review and by helping to spread the word to advertise on the writer dojo email ads at writer all questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writer i've killed women and children i've killed everything that walks or crawls at one time or another and i'm here to kill you little bill for what you done to ned Mm-hmm.